Well, it's great to be at Point Church once again. Um, this church has, a gr- I have a great fondness towards this church and um, it's a real privilege to be able to speak on this particular passage this morning. Have you ever been in a situation where you've chosen a good option and you've missed out on the great? Going to a restaurant with friends can lend itself to this type of situation, right? When you sit down, I often have two or three good options in my mind, but what I'm after is that great option. You know, that option that's going to be reasonably priced, that's going to be a good portion size, that's going to taste sensational, a meal that's going to match my cravings. And after an intense study session of the menu where I might look up the restaurant's Instagram, I don't know if any of you people do that, or you look at the dishes coming out of the kitchen and you gaze at them, um, and then you might have a discussion with your friends, you, you end up making your decision. The wait staff, they come around and they register your order. 20 minutes or so elapses and the food comes out. And as you scan everyone's meal at the table, you realise you have food envy. You've chosen a good option when a greater option exists. I think in many ways this can be a reflection of our prayers, right? We can pray for some really good things like our food before we eat our concerns at work, things that relate to the lockdown, the health of our loved ones, things that our Heavenly Father would be pleased to hear from us and be willing to answer. But today we'll discover prayer that goes one better. To open the letter, Paul was thankful to God for his fellow servant Epaphras, who worked hard to make Christ known in this very small town of Colossae. And as a result... Many people put their faith in the Lord Jesus. So just as Paul is thankful to God for making people come to know him, as we move on in this letter, we see him petitioning his father to help the Colossians to keep growing in their faith. It's a worthy prayer for our study as, we turn our, as it will turn our good prayers into great prayers. But before we dig in, and as we are looking at a prayer, it would be appropriate that we would start our time together by praying. So please join with me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray today that we will see the greatness in this prayer so that we would pray often for each other and for ourselves. This we pray in your name. Amen. Before we begin, my address has three points on the screen. It should come up um, my first point is, um, starts in verse 9, which is being filled to do a task, which leads on to my second point, so that you may fulfil a goal, seen in verse 10a, which will show itself in many ways, from verses 10b to the end of our passage. Earlier we had verse 9 being read to us, and it said this, For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, We continually ask God to help you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. There are two observations that I would like to make, a small one and a big one. The first one is we can see Paul is praying for them to be, well, filled. We can see that there in verse 9. He often prays this prayer without ceasing. The hope is that God will fill them and that filling will result in them doing a task, you know, just like a car that has an empty fuel tank won't drive 
where a barbecue won't cook if it has an empty gas cylinder, Paul is praying constantly to God that the Colossians may be filled so that they may complete a task, which leads to my second observation. This task is to fill them with the knowledge of his will, which will lead them to being wise. So again, knowledge is to know something really, really well. The knowledge that Paul is talking about, well, it's a, it's a relational knowledge of knowing something intimately. For example, this type of knowledge isn't the same as Bible knowledge. Um, a couple of years ago now, I played Bible trivia with some friends as a bit of a laugh. Now, I've been a Christian quite a number of years, but I tell you, the questions that were asked that particular evening, I had no answer for. For example, here's a question. Where in the Bible are apples mentioned for the first time? Now, I knew in my head that it wasn't Genesis 3, but I couldn't think for the life of me where was the first time that apples had been mentioned. If you want to know the answer, it's Proverbs 25.11. Oh, here's another one. How old was Enoch? Now, Enoch is mentioned as probably one line in one of the genealogies in Genesis, And you know it's a big number, but you never remember how old he was. But the answer being, he died at the age of 365 years. But who remembers that? Now, by the end of the night, I was thinking to myself, do I know anything about the Bible? Well, to my relief, Paul isn't praying that we gain a knowledge of the Bible, as we can see in verse 9. It's the knowledge of God's will. But you might think to yourself, isn't his will slightly mysterious can anyone really know it sometimes in life you might even pray to god for god's will to be revealed you might ask him for his will on whether to take a new job or stay at your current one or you might ask him to reveal his will on whether to marry or to stay single in these cases i think god's will is a little bit mysterious i don't think he minds what option you take as long as you think it through asking god for good counsel and discernment in that decision but see when we study the scriptures we can see that god's will isn't a mystery but he's clearly shown it to us i've got two examples and um, the first one will come up on the slides the first one is ephesians 5 15 to 17 it says this be very careful then how you are to live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the lord's will is what is the lord's will well the lord's will is that i should be wise around outsiders making the most of every opportunity here's another example 1 thessalonians 5 16 to 18 it says this rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, what is the Lord's will here? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. See, it's when we read scripture, we can see that God's will, which is to say what God desires, well, it's everywhere. It's littered on every page. So the task that God wants us to do is to know his will which is to know his word, not just facts and figures that we might remember from the Bible. And if we fill ourselves with his will, well, it it provides wisdom for our life as the rest of verse 9 finishes. 
See, when the Bible speaks of gaining wisdom, it often has a direction in which we are to live our lives. See, if I were to give an example, like a veterinarian who has studied animals for years, as soon as there is an animal that's sick, that particular person relies upon their knowledge from their studies to make a wise decision for the animal's well-being. See, it's this knowledge of God's will which points us to be wise. See, from both those particular Bible verses, the Ephesians 5 and the 1 Thessalonians 5, there is a way for us to act. And by obedience, that will make us wise. That's why it's so critical for this small church in Colossae to know God's will as they live in a world that's often very hostile towards their young faith. And so Paul is praying for them to know his will so that it will steer them when they may be tempted to live a life in a different direction. But it's important to note that this wisdom comes from God. I don't think anyone deliberately lives a life to be foolish. And so we all seek wisdom in a number of different places, right? And sometimes the impetus for us to be wise is so that our lives don't become, well, messy, right? Unmanageable. We want to be productive people. We want to know what's the best way forward, how we can overcome certain obstacles, right? And so our ears prick when we listen to a Netflix documentary series on a particular lifestyle habit, right? Or a popular podcast that might have good things to say. We listen when Jordan Peterson tells us how to organise our life or Brene Brown helps us to face our insecurities. In many ways, these different mediums have good things to say. And through our discernment, we can have the ten- they can have the tendency to enrich our lives. But as we listen to the Bible, we don't come to it as a consumer seeking good advice so that we may gain good wisdom. No, we come to the Bible to gain the knowledge of God, which leads us to achieving a more God-honouring goal. See, the goal is bigger than just our well-being, which leads to my second point, so that you may fulfil a particular goal, which is that we would live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. See, we seek out the knowledge of God's will through his wisdom and understanding so that we may ultimately please him. I think for some of us, the idea of pleasing someone can seem foreign, but for others, this can be an overwhelming burden. In um, John Carson's book he wrote a couple of years ago, a core to spiritual reformation, a book which writes um, about Paul's practice of prayer, he tells of a Korean exchange student that he once met. He quotes that this man was pursuing a research degree at a well-known British university. And he approached on to ask if he could get some advice. He had a problem which was both simple and complex. At the simple level, he was failing rather badly in all his work, and it was clear the university was going to squeeze him out of the program. He needed to come to terms with this hard reality. Yet at a deeper level, he had to deal with his family back home in Seoul. His mother and father had sacrificed to send him to the United Kingdom, and they could not conceive of the possibility that their son would not make his grades. Well, this student was utterly destroyed. His parents and siblings were persuading him to succeed, suggesting that he may be able to, you know, transfer to another university, perhaps do another program, perhaps do another degree. 
If he, were, if he were to return home without a degree, see, he would bring devastating shame upon his family. We can see in that particular story that the Korean man had a clear goal that needed to be achieved, which was to please his parents through his studies. But the task involved to achieve that goal would have felt impossible for him. But what we find in Paul's prayer is even greater, right? It's to live a life worthy of the Lord in every way. So you need to understand that a similar culture existed in Colossae, where you live to always please someone above you, whether that be towards your parents or your grandparents or those who are the, you know, the chiefs within your village. See, it's this type of prayer that would have been immensely powerful in a shame and honour culture. It's a prayer that's all encompassing, as God demands complete control of every dimension in your life. See, just as much as the Korean exchange students' task would have felt impossible, I think our task feels even more so. See, the image for me that comes to mind is one of slavery, right? Where our taskmaster is thundering down expectations upon us and we are unable to please him. We try to do what is right, but it's impossible. The burden feels so heavy and the expectations can't be maintained. And so we despair because the whole thing feels like we're being enslaved, a situation that we can't overcome. See, we are too weak to fulfil this task of pleasing him with our lives. The difference is that God knows our weakness and he's overcome our shame. Whereas the Korean family knew their son's weakness and was unable to help him overcome his. As we saw, they gave him advice, right? Why don't you try to transfer to another university, to another degree, try another program? But at the end of the day, they can't achieve the marks for him. In Jesus, we see that he takes our shame and we receive his righteousness. And knowing this, knowing this only pushes us harder to please him more. See, we're not, we're not a slave to the expectations that we can never meet, but we're free to please him in every way possible. See, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of his son in whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So our goal is to please him because he's gone to great lengths to please us. But how can we go about doing this? Well, that leads me on to my third point. It can be shown in many ways. A couple of years ago now, um, for Kim Jang's birthday, I took her out to breakfast at The Rocks. I love going out for breakfast. I love coffee. I love the ambience of a cafe in the morning. I love eating a big breakfast. There's no better way to start a day in my book. But for my wife, she enjoys breakfast out. She, she enjoys it. But she would so prefer going out for lunch and eating Asian cuisine. She's way more pleased with a big bowl of pho or laksa rather than a bacon and egg roll. So I thought I was pleasing Kim Jang, but I didn't know her well enough. So we can be thankful to God for him providing us, within this passage, three ways that we can please him. See, his first um, desire is for us, as we can see in verse 10b, is to bear fruit in every good work. 
which is the things that we do with our hands. In this sense, Paul is referring to us as, as fruit trees, in a sense. For a farmer, a tree was only really useful if it produced fruit, as it would provide provision for your survival, right? And so Paul is praying that we should bear fruit, and that fruit we are to bear is good works. The good works are never mentioned in this passage, but Paul has provided us with a framework to already to achieve those good works. It's to fill ourselves up with the knowledge of God, which will give us a direction in which we are to obey him. And this ultimately provides us with wisdom and understanding. Just as we've seen in both that um, um, Ephesians passage and that 1 Corinthians passage that I quoted earlier, those, both those Bible verses give us a direction in which we are to behave. A second way that we can please him is growing in our knowledge, which is the things that we fill up in our head. Just like a fanatical NRL supporter who knows every player, every team, who studies the fixtures, who knows all the rules, who feels a great sense of joy in the first weekend of October in anticipation of the grand final. It's their love for the game that fills them up with knowledge for the game. See, it's the same basis that operates for us. It's our love for God that fills us up with our knowledge of God. And this becomes like, well, it comes quite cyclic, really, as our knowledge for God fills us up with a love for God. And so what God desires is for us to have a knowledge of him. And as we gain this knowledge, we see in verse 11 that he strengthens us with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. See, the trajectory for us is that we come to know God more and to please him more, that through our abiding he will give us strength so that we may endure patiently until the very end. We please him with our minds so that God may work in us to preserve us until he brings us home. And lastly, we can please God by giving joyful thanks to God for what he has done in verse 12, which is the things that we say with our lips. Don Carson quotes that if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, well, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor, but he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our profound alienation, our death, and so he sent us a saviour. A Christian life should be marked with thanksgiving because by our very words we remember the great rescue he has won for us by transferring us into the kingdom of his son. And when we recall this, it pleases him. Well, as a church, how should we be praying for spiritual growth amongst ourselves? Well, today we've seen in Paul's prayer that he's asking God to fill the Colossians to do a particular task. And that task is to gain knowledge of God's will. By God's power, they'll be able to fulfill this goal of pleasing him in every way. And by pleasing God, they will be people who are eager to bear fruit, to grow in their knowledge of him, offering thanks from their lips. So when we step back, we can see that this prayer, well, it's an impressive picture of the Christian life, really, isn't it? A prayer that should be 
prayed for ourselves and for every person in our church. A prayer that we should pray all the time. But does this type of prayer often find a place when you speak with God? Often we pray for good things which can neglect this greater prayer. And I think that's due to the things that we value in life. See, we thank God for food because we're grateful to be fed. We pray for our stresses at work because we hate feeling overwhelmed. We pray for our situation in lockdown because we desire to be free. We pray for the health of our loved ones because we want them not to feel pain anymore. See, at the heart of all these prayers, we're desiring a restoration that only really can be found in heaven. But to pray a prayer like the one set before us now, well, it has a greater goal in mind, that we could continue to grow spiritually so that we may endure until God calls us home and makes us new again. It's a prayer that sees beyond this world to the next. Throughout my uh, teen years, I had the privilege of being part of the youth group at Concord Community Anglican Church. And about a, a week ago, I was able to catch up with so many of them on Zoom. It was amazing to see that many of them still are confessing Jesus as Lord while being part of his church. And to be honest, it's not always to do with my prayers, but it has a whole lot to do with God's kindness. And so as we think about the future, wouldn't it be great that Point Church could be a church that constantly petitions our Father with this type of prayer that Paul prays for this church. So that when our Lord Jesus returns, we can rejoice together that he has brought us to himself forever. In the midst of our lives, our prayers can sometimes feel like a bit of an add-on rather than something that we should do with great discipline. Rather than being structured and considered, sometimes I know that I pray while I'm, you know, in between tasks or while I'm leading, while it, while I'm leading up to something really stressful in my life. Sometimes I do pray for others, but it only often comes when I think of them. But if we've noticed anything about Paul's prayer practice in chapter one, we can see that it's a constant thing, and it always has a person's best interests in mind which is their spiritual growth. So how can we pray well for all people rather than our prayers being something that we just add on or something that we do when we feel something urgent arises? Well, I've got four tips to close us off. I think the first thing that we need to be aware of are those who come to our gatherings. If you don't look around or notice those who are commenting on the sidebar, um, on our link during church, then it's going to be difficult for you to pray for them. Secondly, make a list of people's names and pray for them regularly. Have a system in place. Don't just rely on your memory. If your memory is anything like me, you'll forget most people, unfortunately. Three, make it a regular habit. See, Paul prays for the Colossians. How often do we pray for those um, that need prayer. Often it's our prayers and the frequency in which we pray them that shows how much of a priority they are. If we don't pray regularly, that's probably not, they're probably not high on our priorities list. And lastly, 
The words don't have to be special, they don't have to be creative, they don't need to be profound or poetic when we do pray. It might be as easy as using the same language that the Bible does. And as we finish up, I might just do that now, using the words from our passage today to pray for us all. So let us pray. Dear Father, we pray that that you would fill us this week with the knowledge of your will so that we may be able to please you in every way. This we pray in your name. Amen.